This morning we're going to continue in our series of Christ-likeness. You've been watching the slides rolling over when you first came in and then that little one that's uh, up at the back there. Uh, and so this morning we're going to look at John chapter 17. My brief, my topic for the sermon this morning is the people Jesus prayed for. Seems simple enough. If you've got an NIV Bible, and that's the Bible that we use here at Monty, it's in the back of the pews and all the rest of it, uh, it says there in chapter 16, uh, 17, rather, Jesus prays for himself. And then at verse 9, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then at verse 20, it says Jesus prays for all the believers. Now I could leave it there and I've just answered, I've just given you the, the, the information. Who did Jesus pray for? Himself, disciples, all believers. And we could go and have morning tea. That would upset kids' church, so we're not going to do that. Not only does it upset kids' church, but you won't get much out of it if we just leave it at that. It's, it's factual. That's exactly who Jesus prayed for. Himself, disciples and all the believers. Factual. But not much of a blessing to us today if we just leave it there. So we're going to explore it together uh, as we go along. The reason that we're doing this series is also because we're looking at our fourth priority of this church and that is to become. And we've looked at that a little bit and what, what we want to do in our priority, fourth priority is to become, and this is the word, this is the word, more Christ-like. That's why we're, we're looking at this this morning. This is why we're, we're looking at what Christ is like, what Jesus is like. In fact, what, what we're doing is we're focusing, focusing on what Jesus is like. That's the lens, you know, to magnify. We're, the lens that we're looking at Jesus this morning. We've been singing about him, that's been great. We've read about him better but this morning we're going to focus our lens. And yeah, sometimes when you, if you're into photography, you can put a filter in front of the lens, which gives us a different appreciation, a different aspect of the thing that's being viewed. So this morning we're going to focus and we're going to put that lens and we're going to filter this passage, this chapter, through the lens of Christ-likeness. Because I'd love to spend two or three weeks talking to you about this chapter. I've got a book on my shelf at home called, called Listen, Jesus is Praying. The whole book is about chapter 17. It's a fascinating read. I'd love to lend it to you. If you're interested in reading it, come and see me. I'll lend it to you. But we're not doing that this morning. We're going to look at chapter 17 together in this way. How can we become more Christ-like by looking at how Jesus prays? 
hopefully we'll discover something very interesting. Do you realise that this is the Lord's Prayer? Oh, what, 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 what? That's not the Lord's Prayer, Rav. It's the real one. This is the real Lord's Prayer. Because, you know, most people, when you ask them, what's the Lord's Prayer? They'll start to recite to you Luke 11, chapter 1. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be... Remember that one? It's also in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And when people think of the Lord's Prayer, that's what they refer to. But really, when you look at those, those two passages, you know, the, the, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And then in Matthew, the Lord said to them when, he, when he made, they made the same similar inquiry, he says, this is how you, you should pray. You see, what the Lord was doing there was giving them a model or, or, or a pattern that they could sort of use a skeleton, perhaps, to use in their prayer life to the Father. And just while we're on that, it's not to be repeated over and over and over again, you know, like vain repetitions, the Bible warns about that. But it was just a pattern that the Lord was giving. But John chapter 17 is actually the Lord praying to his father. That's what we read in verse 1. The Lord actually praying to his father. It's interesting. It's an intercessory prayer, which means that, that the Lord is praying God's heart into specific situations. In other words, what, what it means is, is, is he's praying that, that God's will be done in whatever circumstances and situations there, there, there is. The other interesting thing about chapter 17, it's the longest prayer ever recorded by the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures. There are other instances where we, where we hear him praying. But this is the longest, the, it's, a, it's a whole chapter, that's why it took so long to read it this morning. It's the longest prayer by the Lord Jesus Christ we have recorded. Because as you know, he often went uh, away on his own and would pray Sometimes for hours. Sometimes it says in the scripture, all night. So it's not the longest prayer ever, but it's the longest prayer recorded. And it's a privilege to you, for you and me this morning, to be able to, to listen into it, like that the author was on that book gave it his title. Listen. Listen to what Jesus is praying. Yeah? What a privilege. Because it shows us his heart. It shows us his heart. It shows us the things that concern him. Then and even now, as we'll see in a minute. And it shows us his love. And these things are the Christ-like areas that you and I need to focus on in our lives. Christ-likeness, very important. So the first five chapters, Jesus, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for himself. If you notice those in those five verses, he didn't ask for a better job. He didn't say, Father, I am sick of this job. 
I need a change. He didn't ask for a pay increase. You know, the Lord was always struggling, wasn't he, to pay for things? Have you noticed that in the Gospels? He didn't ask for more money, better job. He didn't say, Father, I haven't had an easy week this week. It's been a tough week. I've been under pressure, you know. He didn't do that either. He didn't moan about how tough his tasks had been. None of that. Now, I'm not saying that it's not good to speak to God about things in your life like that. Absolutely, God encourages us to speak to him. But that's not what we listened to this morning, did we? That's not what we hear when we read this, this passage about the Lord. So what did he pray for? What did he pray for? He prayed for whatever happens, whatever the Lord was about to do or complete, as he was referring to here, that it would glorify God. That's what he prayed for, for himself. He prayed that whatever he does would glorify God. What a prayer. What a prayer. Christ-likeness, to focus, for us to be Christ-like, then when we pray, we should, we should focus more on, on bringing God glory rather than giving him a list of I, I need, I want, I, I, I would like. Living as we ought in obedience to his will, completing or doing the work the Father has given us to do, whatever that might be. That's what the Lord's doing here. He's saying, Father, I, I'm, I've done, I'm going to do the work. I've just about finished it. I want, it, I want it to bring glory. Help me to get through and do this well so I can glorify your name, so you'll be praised. How does that look like? What does that look like in your life and mine? Completing or doing the work the Father has given us to do, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a lonely neighbour in your street. Maybe you haven't spoken to them. Maybe you notice that, you know, they, they haven't been out for a while. Maybe it's spending an hour a week with a kid in a school who is doing a tough, doing a tough because of family issues or economic circumstances. Or maybe it's, it's uh, explaining to someone why you go to church, you know. Hey, Rav, how was your weekend? Oh, well, it was good, yes. Uh, I went to a, a church men's breakfast in, in the, on Saturday morning yeah, and then I, then I preached a sermon on Sunday, Sunday morning and, uh, you know, often I say yeah, it was good. But I've learnt, I've learnt that by me saying yeah, I had a good weekend, leave it at that, doesn't glorify God at all. You know, I have to admit this, that when I pray for myself, it really does start to become a selfish prayer. It really does. I pray for the things that I need. Legitimate things, yeah. I prayed this morning that God would help me with this message. Not a good thing to pray for, but, it's, but it was for me. I pray that God would, would help me with the things I require to live my life. And I pray, and I pray about things that are troubling. I, I often complain to God, you know, woe is me. Why does it have to be so hard? Why does nobody listen? <laughs> you know? I want you to notice about this prayer that the Lord has. The division of the prayer time. Right? Now here's the whole prayer. 
Now I reckon, for me, my my prayer life, 80% is about me, my needs, my problems, my situations that I need the Lord to help me with. Now look at the Lord's prayer here. 100%. It's about, he prays for himself about, I reckon, maybe 20% max, maybe 15%. I didn't do the maths, I'm not good at maths, but it, this, this is how much he prays for himself. It's the shortest section in this prayer, isn't it? The Lord does pray for himself, and he prays that he may glorify God in whatever he does, but it's the shortest part of the prayer. So then we go to the next one. Jesus prays for his disciples, and because I've mentioned to you that the first bit was the shortest. This is the longest part of the prayer, right? This has got to be, I reckon, maybe 60% of his prayer time he prays for the disciples. And this too is an interesting section of, 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 of this, this prayer that we're looking at because it, the Lord is praying that the, for the disciples and these people, these, these disciples, not just the apostles but the disciples, would would continue continue the work of the Lord, making known God to to whoever they interact with. In other words, glorifying God. They would be the Lord would be going, but they would be staying and working and continuing on the work. And it's interesting what he prays for. He prays for them that they will be blessed because they're they're they're, they're God's people, just like you and I are. He, he prays that they may be protected and kept safe from Satan and the evil world. He prays that they might be sanctified uh, and set them apart by the truth, that, that they will always be able to, to tell people the truth, the right information, a little bit like what Franklin Graham's trying to do, telling the truth. The truth has never been so unpopular, has it, as it is today? And he prays that they might be productive as he has been doing the will of God. I want to ask you this question just just so that we can tie it all up. What do you, what, what, what do these people, what do you think these people are doing? These disciples, what are they actually doing? What are they engaged in? The answer to that is ministry. That's what they're engaged in. Ministries are just a, a term that, 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 that's, you know, an umbrella term for serving the Lord, doing the Lord's work, whatever, however that may look. But the, the Lord was praying for the ministry and the people in ministry. He was praying for the apostles and for the deacons and for the elders and for some of the teachers and preachers and, and the evangelists and, and others that would be serving. All those people that, you, that we read of in the book of Acts. That's who he was praying for. The number one ministry is making God known. That's our priority. That should be our priority. It was God's priority. He sent his son to make himself known. All his, all his characteristics and attributes, but that's why he sent Jesus. The number one ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was what? To make the Father known. 
to make his words known, to make his will known, to make his plan of salvation known. Number one ministry. And in this prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself acknowledges that it's difficult. In fact, it's hard. I mean, the Lord would know. He would know. It's interesting that it's not just hard. We read in this passage that it's dangerous. Dangerous. I don't know if you know this organisation called Open Doors, but I I get their their newsletter thing, whatever it is that comes via email. They tell you about what's happening to the Christian church in the world regarding persecution and so forth. And, and, and it's interesting when you look at that, that, that there is a, this one that came just recently was talking about this, the, the Christian church in Sudan. It, there's, a, there's a very active and deliberate um, effort by the government to shut down, the ch- literally coming, shutting the doors, knocking down the churches. And these, some of these people that, that Open Doors referred to a couple of weeks back that I got one, a, a church pastor was, was killed by the authorities. Dangerous work. Now, we live in a fantastic country. Perhaps being a Christian in Australia isn't dangerous, but it's hard, isn't it? It's still hard. The Lord prayed for the, for the, for the dangerous. And he also, in this prayer, we see that... that he prays for the, for the people in the ministry because it requires, it does require sacrifice. It does. It costs to be involved in ministry. Time, effort, energy, money, emotion. It costs. And you know what? It's true of all ministry today. So, Christ-likeness, what, what should I be praying for? Who should I be praying for if I'm going to be Christ-like in my prayer life as we see here this morning in this passage? Well, I should be praying most, remember, about 60% of the Lord's Prayer was about ministry. I should be praying most about the various ministries relating to God, his word and godly living. That's what I should be spending a lot of my prayer time doing. Am I doing that? Am I? Are you? Now, I don't want to make you feel guilty or anything. I'm just asking the question because I've had to ask that of myself this week. I really have. Am I praying regularly for the playgroup? For the, for, for the leaders of the playgroup, for, for the helpers that go there, sacrificing, giving of their time and energy. Am I play, praying for kids club? Huh? I remember when I was doing kids club. Man, it's tiring. It's tiring. What about, what about the, the, the people that are in the rooms, various rooms around this church? teaching our children. They're not hearing the sermon. You know, there are some people that rarely sit, rarely sit in here and hear God's word teaching to them. How are they going to be fed? How are they going to be encouraged by God's word? 
What about the outreach in our community? Are we praying for that? The people that are trying to, to, to reach out with God's love and blessing to the, into the community. Do we pray for them regularly? More? What about the leadership of this church? We need prayer. We really do. And the preachers that come week in, week out, that stand on this platform, faithful men, putting in their time, studying the word of God, getting before the Lord, asking him to give them the message that God has for you. Do we pray for them? Don't forget, this is the longest part or the biggest part of the Lord's Prayer, people in ministry. And then finally, he prays for all the believers from verses 20 to 26. Now, you know, about 10, 15 to 20%, 60%, how much is that? About 70, around somewhere around there, 70, 80. Well, the next biggest section is this one. Can you see, can you see a pattern here? <laughs> Just like the Lord's Prayer in, in, in Luke, a pattern is emerging here, is it not? So in this, act, in this section, God, the Lord is preaching, uh, uh, praying about the future of all believers, all the people that would believe in him from that day to today and however much longer it is before the Lord comes again. He's praying for the whole church throughout all the ages. He's praying for you and me. He's praying for all the believers, all the believers in Greens, at the Greensboro Church of Christ as well. And the people that are meeting at Briar Hill Salvation Army this morning. And then, then there's a group of people at the Calvary Lutheran at Olstead Road. He's praying for them as well. They're included. And of course the Baptists up there at Diamond Valley. You see, he's praying for all the believers, no matter where we meet. All the genuine people who have trusted him with salvation and call him Lord. What does he pray for these people? That's who he's praying for. But what is he praying for, for these people, for all of us, here at the Church of Christ, up there at the the Lutherans? What is he praying for? Verse 21 tells you that. Unity, unity, that we might be as one, like he and the Father is one. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his church, that his people, the people that he has bought with his blood might be one, united. It's very sad when you reflect on that, isn't it? What, what, what should it look like? If, if, if that is the Lord's Prayer and he wants it to come about, what should it look like? Well, just pre, prior to the Lord praying this prayer in John, it talks about the Lord saying in verse uh, chapter 30, verse 34, that, that, that all the believers might love one another. That all of us might love one another. Not just these people here, but all of us. That we might love one another. That's the motive for our service. 
for, for honouring him. In chapter 14, he says that all the believers should be united in unity of one mind and thought in trusting God and trusting Christ. You believe in me, you believe in God, believe also in me. In chapter 14, verse 9, it says that uh, it says that 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 we should have the same unit uni, uh, thought and mind united in that 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 we, we when we have uh, seen seen the Father we we have seen no, sorry when we've seen Jesus we have seen the Father. We want to know what God looks like. We want to know what God's like. We want to know how He feels about certain situations, circumstances, and people groups. Look at Jesus. Keeping on obeying what I com- keep obeying what I command, he says in chapter fourteen and chapter fifteen. Allow the Holy Spirit full liberty in your lives, chapter fourteen and sixteen. Obey Christ's teaching. This is this is what it looks like. If you want to put skin on it, this is what it looks like. That that when he's asking for unity. Now look at verse twenty three. In verse 21, he says that they, that they might be united. But in verse 23, he wants that unity to be complete. In complete unity, not in just some things, or few things, on the essential things. That's, what, that's the terminology that we use to make ourselves comfortable in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But the Lord's Prayer for his people is that they might be in complete unity now that's a challenge that has challenged me this week it has challenged me this week it's not I, I have not been comfortable preparing this message for you this morning I have to be honest with you Because complete unity, verse 23, it appears, it appears that that, brothers and sisters, is the, the great testimony to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. You ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered why the church seems so ineffective in this dark and evil age that we live in, in this, in this time that is without hope, where people are lost and they feel unloved? Have you ever wondered why we are so ineffective? Let me read you something from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This, this was written by the Apostle Paul 23 years, roughly. Give us a take a year. After the Lord prayed this prayer. All right? 23 years later, this is what the Apostle Paul had to write. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's, the, there's that bond, you know. Not, 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 not to the people at Montmorency or any, you know, but to all the brothers, all the people, uh, that, that, that are in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. That you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. I was thinking earlier on in the week about that. 
And I'm picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. You know where he is now, don't you? Where is he? Seated at the right hand of the Lord of God on high. That's where he is. I can picture him sitting there next to God, still praying this prayer, brothers and sisters, because we are divided. The church of God is divided. And that's the testimony that we give to the world. That's why the Lord prays his prayer. So Christ's likeness for us, Christ's likeness for us is, is that the unity of the church might be a priority in our prayer life as well. The unity. That, that we may present Christ to the world as is portrayed in the Gospels. It won't be popular. It won't be appreciated. But that's the calling. So more of our prayer time ought to be prayed for that, be spent in praying for that. So do we even think about praying for the unity of the, of the church? I have to confess, when I looked at this, my answer was no. I, I rarely, rarely pray for the unity of the church. You know, God answers prayer. Hmm? Okay. So if he does that, and I'm not praying this prayer, you work it out. Now, do we, do we pray for the unity of this church? Okay, let's get a little bit more selfish here. Because that's important too. Because the people at Montmorency see Christ in us. And what is Christ like? He's one with the Father. Christ's likeness is important. That's why God predestined us. There we go. That's why Christ, uh, God predestined us to be conformed into the likeness of his son. That's Romans 8 and verse 29. That, that's the, the overriding heading of, of our, our series. I wrote in red there, when I read that verse, that's God's desire, possibly even a command. But irrespective of whether it's one or the other, it doesn't matter. We've been predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. And conform means to, to, to be or, this is what it's in the dictionary, or become. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Where have you heard that before? To become similar in form, nature and character. That's why our fourth priority is become. That's why it's become. Our strategic priority is become. And it says that we want here at Montmorency, everyone here in Montmorency, to be that, that, that they will become more Christ-like. Because all of us are Christ-like. Because when you were saved, when I was saved, the spirit of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in a few weeks' time, was placed in you. So that makes you Christ-like from the get-go. But also, everyone in this room, you know, could be more Christ-like. Yes? Yes. Me included. Me especially. 
That's the challenge, isn't it? That's, that's why we exist here at Montmorency, is it not? That we might be more Christ-like and honour God and glorify God and serve in ministry that makes him known to the community, to the world and that we present a united front. Now Lee shared with us a few weeks ago that Christ's likeness only happens if the, the desire comes from the heart. Well, you know, how could you not have that desire? How could you not have it? I don't want you to feel guilty of me saying it. I'm challenging you. How can I not have that desire to become more like Christ? It should be. It must be our desire. Otherwise we're going to fail miserably. If you want to become more like Christ in your prayer life, which is what this sermon's about and what this example is about that we've looked at in, in John 17, then here, is, here are three of the areas that you can start working on. Pray for unity. Pray for ministry more. Pray for yourself less. That's the example that Christ gave us. If we want to be Christ-like, let's imitate that. Thanks, God.